What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Around the 412. I'm Tyler. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Smitty. Be sure to go give us a follow on Spotify, Apple, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, Amazon Podcast, pretty much anywhere you can find a podcast. We're on there. So if you want to go give us a follow, give us a rating if you can. It'll help us out a lot. And also go subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're trying to grow that as well and get some more videos out there to get the content out for you guys. Um, we'd, that'd be much appreciated. Also, a couple of GoFundMes to give a shout out to. The first one, we've, we've talked about it in the last couple episodes. I'm sure as many of you have heard, and if you listen to our show, you know by now. Um, there's a GoFundMe for uh, Dalton Keene's daughter who... Dalton passed away a few weeks ago, um, but his daughter Isla, there is a GoFundMe that is called Isla Keen's Future, um, and it, it is for uh, supporting her future as, as she grows up, and currently, as of recording this episode, it's, it's over $30,000, which is pretty awesome to see. It's about $30,500, um, but we want to keep that thing going, so we will link that in, des- in the description of the, these shows, but if you go to GoFundMe.com, and you search Isla Keen's future, it'll show up there. It's I-S-L-A-K-E-A-N-E. And then you can also go to, I mean, our, if you search on our Twitter feed as well, at around the 412, it's, it's been on there and retweeted a few times. So you, you can do, do that as well. And then our um, our GoFundMe for our Christmas fundraiser, Rocket Around the 412, it is year five. Um, that we're going to start trying to get that amped up some more. Um, we we, we want to try to make this just as big as last year. And Isla is actually going to be one of the recipients for this year's fundraiser. Um, and, and for those of you who don't know, just a little uh, sneak peek. We, we donate or we, the donated money. We get gifts. We try to get a list from every kid that we donate to um, and pretty much get them whatever they want. And that also includes a gift card for the parents to provide a Christmas meal so just a couple of GoFundMes. That one can also be uh, seen at our pin tweet on Twitter. And if you go to GoFundMe.com directly, you can find it by searching Rock Around the 412. So that's our Rock Around the 412 GoFundMe. And then there's also the Isla Keen's Future GoFundMe as well. Both of those links will be in the description of the YouTube and wherever you're listening to this podcast. Yep. <clears throat> um like you said, if you're watching on YouTube, I mean, if it's going to be in the description anyway, and I didn't even realize until I think it was two episodes ago where we started putting them in the uh, the others that you could even do that on Spotify yeah. and stuff. So, um, yeah, you guys should have no problem finding those, even if you aren't um, on Twitter. Um, I just wanted to start off by asking you a question. When do you think people are going to start putting respect on around the 412's name? I mean... <laughs> The posters that Jerry Dulac put out this thing, right? Finally, yesterday, it comes to light what happened at halftime of the Jets game. Do you remember when I told you about what happened at halftime of the Jets game? The very yeah, next and I, day. I was surprised. But but yeah, yeah. You, you told me the day after it happened, we were recorded. So yeah, I, I mean, we, we've got we've been hated on not literally our entire time. <laughs> Listen, we've got some loyal listeners, but for for some reason, a couple guys from Beaver County also have some haters as well. Uh, but yeah, put some respect on your, I mean, specifically Smitty's names. He's the one with the sources that, that got that information. As one of my AirPods fall out, I see why you don't, guys don't put respect <laughs> on my name. Um, but listen, uh, this game wants, and it's just, of course, like we can't even enjoy a victory Monday because the Steelers do the improbable on Sunday and beat Tom Brady in his last trip to Pittsburgh. Hopefully, mm-hmm. unless he plays till he's at this point, what, 50 three he'd have to play to or something like that to make it back to Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, so, he's with Tampa. Yeah. Oh, that's true. He could change teams to come to a team that comes here, but either way, it, it this should be his last time playing in Pittsburgh. Um, but it's so improbable. I mean, if, if you take into consideration the personnel that the Steelers had available to them on the defensive side of the football, you the and I were playing that, corner. Yeah, seriously. Like Drew Drew tweeted out that he was playing safety and people took it literally. Like literally everyone was like, "Oh, congratulate." Like they thought he was a practice squad guy being brought up for the day. So, <laughs> that's that was the state of the Steelers secondary on Sunday. And I have to give a cap tip to these guys. We're going to talk about this way more in depth, but just on the surface here to talk about how improbable of a win this was. When you take into consideration the personnel that they had to them available on the defensive side of the football, who they were going against 
you know, the greatest quarterback of all time, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. I know Julio Jones didn't play in this football game. Leonard Fournette. I mean, this this game should not have <laughs> – the result should not have been what it was. You talked about losing Kenny Pickett when they did. Um, you know, just everything just lined up for the Steelers to not win this football. A home game where they were nearly 10-point underdogs, the Steelers, by the time yeah. this line closed. So – they do the unthinkable and win this football game on Sunday. And then the very next day, this comes out about Deontay and Mitch at halftime of the Jets game and kind of puts a cloud over everything. And then the whole Boswell thing as well, you know, talking to somebody, um, which, you know, I will let him answer about that because I'm sure he's going to get asked about it. All I'm going to say about it is I know what the situation was there, um, but I will let him answer that and he can do with that whatever he wants. It's unfortunate that I mean, I'm sure that these guys know when they're walking back from the field to the locker room, especially after a win, the media does tend to film that to put out on social media and stuff. So uh -huh. he had to have known there was a good chance whatever he said during that period of time could end up on social media. And it did. So, you know, people are going to run with this in a lot of different directions. I'm sure whenever he talks to the media next, there's going to be plenty of questions about it. Like I said, I will let him do the answering on that. I'm not going to speak on his behalf. Um, but of course, like the Steelers can't just have a victory Monday. The, these other things have to come out and yeah. kind of cloud that. Yeah. Well, as far as the Boswell thing goes, to me, it's just a good meme. It, the, the, that soundbite <laughs> itself yeah. is is, a, is great yeah, for using for memes. So thanks, Boz, for doing that. I don't care who you were yelling at. That that was a good meme. And Mitch and Deontay, who cares? Like honestly, who cares? Do people not realize how many? Like arguments or fights happen throughout a. How excited do people like, get during training camp fights? Like we're excited I, to see I these guys having battles. That's like a big yeah. spot on social media during camp is if you see people fight, and people mm -hmm. are acting like the world's collapsing because there was an, an all locker room altercation during a game, especially a, like a game. The Steelers have not been performing well up to that point, and so it makes sense why things can be a little more heated and be more tense in a locker room. So I am not surprised whatsoever that there was a disagreement or an argument or whatever went on behind the scenes, but why do people care? It, it doesn't affect the Steelers whatsoever right now. I'm sure they are. We're three weeks away from it. We're three weeks past it. I don't think the Steelers, mm -hmm. I don't think Deontay Johnson or Mr. Trubisky was thinking about it. And now it's being yeah. brought up like, who, who cares? It, it, it's literally something to brush under the rug, like every other fight or argument we've seen over the years about the Steelers camp. And not just Steelers, literally football. It happens everywhere. It's not an issue. People are making it an issue just because it's news. Why can't we talk about the win? Why can't we talk about different things like the defense, the good play that we got from the defense? Instead, mm -hmm. you have to cloud that with a stupid locker room argument that happened three three games ago it makes an absolutely no sense and i i get it it's easy to clickbait so that's why people are going to run with it but even the people that like the fans who would be clicking on the articles like why are you buying into this like why do you care what what matters about this argument it, it, it makes no sense to me and if that's what got mitch bench then whatever but like that's water on the bridge yeah. now it, th that's we're moved past it this isn't like this. It didn't happen this past week. It happened multiple weeks ago. It shouldn't matter right now. Yeah, I think the uh, the discrepancy with a lot of the fans is they don't think that that's the reason that he got benched. And quite frankly, neither do I. It just doesn't make much sense to me that that would be the reason. Now, if it was just like, we're probably going to do this anyway. This is the final straw. Maybe. Well, yeah, that's, but I don't think I, that's the reason, but I think yeah. the way he was playing, it's it would be easy for Tomlin to be like, all right, we're sitting you. Yeah. Now, to because this is that's what Jerry Dulac said to to come to his defense a little bit. I was told the exact same thing when I spoke on here about it. The message that I had gotten about it said it was due to the altercation that happened in the locker room as well mm -hmm. that he got benched. Whether that yeah. was the case or not, I don't know. But I, I brought this up to you that I thought was interesting as well. Deontay Johnson was back onto the field earlier than everybody else, too. Like, he was back out with a specialist warming up. And I had thought at the time it was just to say 
what's up because it was like alumni weekend. So a lot of those guys were on the field. So he was like shaking their hand. I just thought it was like, cool. He wanted to come out and say what's up to those guys. And then yeah. hearing that afterwards, I was like, oh man, maybe he got like kicked out of the locker room or just got so tense that he had to get out of there or whatever. But he ended up playing the rest of the game. Now, as far as those two go, the, the same person that has told me this um, way back when it happened, it's water under the bridge for those two guys. So I hope that it can be for everybody else. I know that it's not going to be, but those two have moved past it within 24 hours. So people that are trying to continue to stir this up and saying he's not going to target Deontay Johnson if he does have to play again, that's not going to be the case. Those two are fine. This was a much less serious situation than what you see happen, even in training camp where you see fist flying and stuff like that. As far it, yeah. to my knowledge, there wasn't even an actual punch thrown during this or anything. So and that's why it's so stupid. Anybody and, and maybe that's why like a lot of people haven't played football. And I don't want to give the, that perspective like, oh, you've never played football, you don't understand. But like, mm-hmm. you know how many arguments even in high school football you have amongst teams and coaches, like players and coaches? I cussed my yeah. lineman coach out during a game because I wasn't <laughs> coming off the field. It, yeah. it, it is what it is. It, like th- there's there's no way around it. It happens within all sports, not just football. But in this case, we're talking about football, and it happens at every single level. I, I just think it's dumb to even really dwell on it that long. It, it, it is what it is. It happened. It broke news miraculously weeks later. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was going to stay under wraps, and we'd be like two of the only people to know about it. <laughs> but uh, when it came out yesterday, I was like, man, like I don't want to be this person and like push this narrative further than it has to be. But I also want people to be like, oh, like, oh, they did, you know, say something correctly. And maybe they do know some people. So um, I want to just now that we're telling people to move past it, I think we ourselves have to move past it as well and finally talk about the game at hand here with Tampa sure. beating them with a patchwork secondary. I mean, this is one of those games where say what you want about Tomlin. I know that he has a lot of he deserves a lot of criticism for a lot of things, especially that have gone on this year. Um, but this was a typical Tomlin game. Like, this is why you feel so good going into every Sunday with him as the head coach, because you got a chance every single Sunday, other than you're playing the Buffalo Bills of 2022. Uh, but to right. go into this game with the secondary that they had, listen to the snap counts for the every player or every defensive back that they had available to them. Arthur Millette played 56 snaps. That was 77.8% of them. James Pierre, 68 snaps. That's 94% of them. Quincy Wilson, don't know who that is. I believe he was elevated just for this game. 11 <laughs> snaps. That was 15.3%. That was the Zach Celedonia for the week. Uh, Josh okay. Jackson, 59 snaps, 81.9% of them. Terrell Edmonds, of course, all 72 snaps. That's 100%. Trey Norwood played all but one at 71 snaps, 98.6%. Miles Killebrew played a single snap at safety, 1.4% of the snaps. And Elijah Riley, um, who they brought back, he was with them in the preseason. They cut him, brought him back to the practice squad, elevated him for this game. He played nine snaps, 9.5%. Those names, though. I mean, literally, this is I, I put out a tweet about James Pierre. I just really admired what he did on Sunday. He's one of those guys to me where people were far too high on coming out of 2020 into 2021 when Steven Nelson departed. And they were like, oh, it doesn't matter. We had James Pierre, a guy that's played 30 some snaps in the NFL. And they just assumed he could plug and play him at the boundary and he'd be fine because he showed some flashes. This guy the entire time was always going to be a project, small school guy, undrafted. Very raw, but the, tr- the, the the traits were definitely there, and you have something to work with. That's why deep down, he wasn't the player that everyone thought in terms of how good they were assuming he was going into 2021. He also wasn't as bad as what that little sample size was in 2021 that landed him like fourth or fifth on the depth chart by the end of the season. What he is is a really nice developmental corner that needs reps and patience and time and he can give you what you got on Sunday, which was one heck of an effort having to be the lead corner for this football team on the outside. So, I mean, what a job by him. I want to start with him first and foremost because he played the most out of the corners. Like I said, 68 snaps, 94.4%. He made a ton of plays. I think he had two pass defenses. Um, one right at midfield, which like was awesome because he's literally on the logo celebrating because it was exactly at midfield. He was like doing a little like guitar celebration or something. Yeah. Um, but what what a game from James Pierre. I don't know what your thoughts on him have been because he's kind of been a guy that's just gotten continuously leapfrogged. But um, he just this was a game for him where he's just like, OK, I'm still here. I mean, yeah, he, he was a guy that going into this year, especially after last year, because last year, I mean, even we fell victim of 
kind of getting into the hype of him bringing back and possibly being one of the corners on the outside. And I feel like after last year, it just kind of – not that I like really disliked him as a player. It's just kind of left a sour taste in my mouth compared to like what we thought it was going to be like. And then going into this year, I just thought he was going to be a depth piece, special teams guy he, if he makes the roster, and then that'll that'll pretty much be it. He's not going to play that much, but little did I know that we're going to be playing with without any of our <laughs> corners. Um, but, no, I, I, I thought it was a great game from him. Um, it, it was a good bounce back for sure from what we saw, specifically when he had an elevated role last season because we haven't really seen him that this season so far. Um, mm-hmm. But then j- just the, the entire secondary as a whole was really impressive because out of all of the guys that you mentioned with the snap counts, only one of those guys are considered a starter, and that's Terrell Edmonds. Every other guy yeah. is a depth piece to that secondary, and they definitely stepped in big time, and, and they played a big role into this game. I mean, Brady, a lot, a lot of the pressure that, that was getting to him wasn't just like quick pressure. I mean, it's probably because they it was – not necessarily coverage sacks, but coverage pressure. He, the, the the defensive line was getting time to get to Brady. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so they did a really good job. I was really impressed with it. And it's something that I, I mean, totally did not expect. Because after the previous week, seeing what Buffalo did, I know Buffalo or in Tampa are different, and Tampa's not on that level quite anymore. But it, it's still a really good team, and I was not expecting that the defensive performance. Yeah, I mean, they're to, they're although they can't do what Buffalo does through the air, I think they have a little bit more balance because Buffalo doesn't have a Leonard Fournette run on the rock. You know, no discredit to to Devin Singletary and obviously Josh Allen's a threat with his legs, but you don't have a Leonard Fournette, and you saw what Leonard Fournette can do. But for the Steelers to hold them out of the end zone until there's like a little under five minutes left with this secondary, the other guy that I really wanted to highlight was Josh Jackson coming up from the practice squad. Um, he played obviously against Buffalo a little bit, had to play in this game, um, had to start in this game on the outside, was targeted six times by Brady when he was covering Mike Evans. Mike Evans had one catch on those six targets. Um, obviously, he didn't like shadow him or anything like that, but that really jumped off the page to me. Uh, Arthur Millette, not necessarily a guy that is known for his coverage, but I thought on some, I'm not making this comparison. I think that the Steelers probably tried to plug and play him the same way. But I think mm. Sunday he looked a lot like what we saw from Mike Hilton when Mike Hilton was at his best with the Steelers. The way that, you know, Arthur Millette was contributing in run support. He made a lot of, I think he had like three tackles for loss in this football game. Just making a lot of plays around the line of scrimmage. They were blitzing him. Um, it was a really impressive effort on his part. Terrell Edmonds, what, what more do we have to say? I mean, I'm going to continue to sing his praises if no one else will. Played 100% of the snaps to me. Um, was really a big reason why this worked on Sunday because of the communication aspect. And I talked about that against Buffalo, too. I don't think they beat Buffalo if he's in this football game. I don't think he makes a 35-point difference. Uh, But I think that those plays over the top and some of those other things that Buffalo was doing are more limited if Terrell Edmonds is back there uh, in this secondary. And then Trey Norwood, who was kind of a scapegoat for the way that 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 Buffalo game did take place um, because he was not very good. I mean, I'm a huge Trey Norwood fan, but let's be frank, he was not very good in that football game. He was very good in this football game. Again, <clears throat> this is a second-year player who is very advanced in terms of his communication aspect. You know, and you have mm-hmm. to be when you are not necessarily the greatest athlete. He was a seventh-round pick for a reason, but I think that he's really uh, adapted to the NFL very well, way quicker than I think a lot of people thought that he would. He got to play quite a bit as a rookie, and he got to play quite a bit uh, this year as well just due to injuries. I mean, if DeMonte KZ doesn't break his wrist, I don't know if we're talking about Trey Norwood as much as we are. Um, And KZ very well could be back within the next couple weeks, and that's just going to be very good for them because I think we're going to see some different looks, those three safety looks that we really wanted to see uh, that looked like we were going to see out of the preseason where you're talking about maybe using Edmonds or KZ down towards the box, and that kind of replaces that sub-linebacker. So we're getting Bob Spillane off the field on third downs, which would be great. He allowed six receptions on seven targets. I mean, he should be off Sunday. the field for the most part anyway so, because of the way Devin Bush played on Sunday as well. Yeah. I, I feel like Devin yeah. Bush needs to be have have a more elevated role in terms of his snap count, and, and Robert Spillane can get reduced because – at this point, it's proven to me that Devin Bush has resurged a little bit and, and has played better. I mean, that that pass breakup was one of the best plays, probably the best play he's made since his rookie season as a Steeler. I thought this was his best um, game since his rookie season. Yeah, and so th- that just screams to me like you might as well give him some elevated role 
some some even more, and then get Bob Splane off the field because I, he's a decent backup, but I don't want him out there as much as he is. Yeah. You mentioned uh, some of the pressure that they were creating. I mean, finally, we've been talking about it for weeks. Uh, Tampa Bay's offensive line, similarly to how we can talk about our secondary, is kind of a patchwork offensive line with some of the injuries that that team has dealt with. Um, but Malik Reed got his first sack as a Steeler. Alex Highsmith has once again retaken the NFL lead after this game with six and a half sacks. Cam Hayward had three friend of the show, by game. the way. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to make it about us, but yeah, he's been on here twice. Who, who cares? Follows us on Twitter. Doesn't matter. Uh, but Pam Hayward also <laughs> with three pressures in this football game. He'd only had one since the opener, and he has three on Sunday. Finally, um, there was Chris Wormley made some plays in the backfield. Like a lot of guys showed up. This was exactly what you need to have happen. Like all 53 guys that dress for this game in some way seem to contribute when they were put on the field. And that's what has to happen to pull off that type of game. Uh, when you have no business winning. So it was great to see them finally generate some pressure. Um, I, I think to your point, though, I would agree where it's like Brady was still having some time to throw and they were just doing that good of a job in coverage where it was giving the defensive linemen more time to get mm -hmm. to the quarterback. Um, but they did play well. I'm not trying to take away from them either. I think this was definitely a collective effort from the defense. Um, the linebacker play was was better. I mentioned I thought Devin Bush had his best game since a rookie. Miles Jack played like three quarters of this football game banged up. I don't know what his status is going to be in practice throughout the week, but like in the second quarter, I see him kind of hobbling around and he just he played the rest of the football game, though. And then he was like right at the very end of that video um, with the team coming through the locker room. And you could see he's really struggling to walk into the yeah. locker room at that point. So um I don't know that Tomlin really mentioned him, but we will see what his participation's like through the week. So, but defensively, with again, with what they had at their disposal in this football game on Sunday, what an effort and what a coaching job as well by Tomlin, Austin, and Flores, because we know all three were involved in putting together that game plan. Yeah. And unless I'm mistaken, I believe that is the first win without TJ Watt on yeah, the defense. It is. Mm -hmm. Since he was drafted. That's pretty yeah. nuts. Mm hmm. So, yeah, hats off to them because neither of us predicted it. I'm sure not no. a lot of people in Pittsburgh did, but we predicted a loss. And, the Steelers, and that's the Steelers did score 20, which I said was going to happen. They but. did score 20. and <laughs> But that's the kind of like gritty performance that you're going to need from the defense, even with the starters. I mean, it was even more impressive because they didn't have guys like TJ and Minka in. But mm -hmm. that's the type of performance that you're going to need as the offense is still working out its kinks to win some football games, because yeah. like we said, I mean, work, not the, how I want to say that we're lucky the offense scored 20, but like, I guess in a way you could say we're lucky the offense has scored 20 because for several games this season, it seems like that is an impossible task. And so having the performance you got from the defense overall outstanding performance. And I, I already said, like after the game, I was fully anticipating going into this game, and losing and then i'm thinking ahead and i'm like okay if we lose like in in miami and then or and then in philadelphia like what was it what are we going to look at and this is the type of performance that makes you think somehow the steelers are going to do the thing that's going to piss me off the most and be like an eight and nine nine and eight team and just be average and i'm like you need to either be good or bad quit doing this middle of the road crap yeah, where they're at right now, and it's also more a credit to everybody else because I I also tweeted this out. Like, I can't figure out who's even good in the NFL outside of Buffalo, Kansas City, and Philly. Like, the Giants are 5-1, and one, but can we really buy into them? I think they're in the right direction. I think they finally got a head coach, but I don't know that I would I would pick them to do, do any damage in the playoffs. I and saw with Minnesota, I like them a lot, but how do you put stock into Kirk Cousins when it matters? Well, I, I saw this TikTok today. And it, it was something like you've got Philly, Buffalo, and Kansas City all up here. And then mm -hmm. down here, you have the Texans and I don't know if they said the Bears or whoever. And then you have everyone Probably else the in Panthers. between that. Maybe the Panthers. but And then they're like every single other team, like all 28 yeah. other teams are all in between. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so I mean, I'm looking no at the Steelers. The Steelers are as close to first place as they are to picking first. 
in the NFL draft right now. Yeah, so that it's it's they're in a really weird spot, but we know the Steelers. We know Mike Tomlin. This is a team that's going to try to obviously win every football game possible, and they're going to compete. Like you just have a feeling they're just going to stay in these football games. It wouldn't surprise me one bit if they go to Miami on Sunday night and win that football game. Two, it looks like two is going to be back, but I feel actually much more. And we can talk about this real quick as well. I didn't necessarily plan to talk about injuries because Wednesday is really the first day that we have a good idea of what's going on with guys. Real, actually Thursday because Wednesday. Anybody that's dealing with anything is probably going to be limited in our practice. But uh, with Kenny, right, when he leaves this game with with concussion-like symptoms being evaluated for a concussion, any more, and we've seen it now two weeks in a row with Terrell Edmonds and Pat Fryermuth, any more when that happens, you feel like that guy's just not playing the following week. But, like, Tomlin, the way he was talking today, makes it seem like there's a very good chance Pickett will be available to play, and if he is, he's going to. He shut down any type of quarterback controversy that was trying to be drummed up by saying he anticipates him practicing as long as he clears these hurdles that he has to throughout the week, he's going to be the starter for Miami, which is great to hear. You love that Tomlin just shoots down that speculation right away. Um, But yeah, I feel very good. I don't feel very good about it necessarily. I feel much better about it as we sit here right now than I did when I saw that it was a concussion that he was leaving the game for, because I just assumed, okay, he's not playing for a week. That's what I assumed as well, especially with the whole Tua stuff that happened earlier this season, I know teams are going to be extra cautious about that sort of thing, and rightfully mm-hmm. so. But I, I just didn't think that he probably would play this week. But the way that Tomlin is talking, there's the good possibility. And I'm happy that Tomlin just flat out said he's going to be the guy if he's if he's available. Because I would rather just know that right out the gate. And I'm sure even probably the quarterbacks would probably rather know that right out the gate than yeah. having to wonder up until game time who is going to be the quarterback. And maybe from a strategic like gamemanship standpoint, I, I can get where you wouldn't want Miami to know who the quarterback is. But I also get from a team standpoint, like you, you, they should know who the quarterback is. And I think I think Tomlin set that message. And I, I think that's a good thing. And it's a good thing for us too, because not that I am overly worried if Kenny doesn't play that, that Mitch is going to – be terrible again i mean it's not even that i'm worried i just kind of like feel like it's going to be a thing um but i feel like it's kind of just goes back to what we said where if you go to kenny after you go to mitch you're not going back to mitch and Mm -hmm. i i feel like tomlin kind of just solidified what we had talked about before they ever made the switch is that they already they've made the switch to their first round guy so whenever he's healthy he's the quarterback again plain and simple i'm sorry mitch you you get your chance if kenny can't go but the way it is you you had your shot at it didn't turn out that great and i understand he 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 looked good in relief in this game but Mm -hmm. to me that's not enough to win you the job back no but i do want to talk about that now though i think that you definitely have to tip your cap for what he did on sunday um i mean absolutely I'm looking at this the statistics from this game. The Steelers only had 270 yards of total offense. Do you know how they were able to win this football game, though, from the offensive standpoint? Obviously, they played really good defensively. From the offensive standpoint, 7 of 15 on third downs, on the money down. That's what they were able to do. When was the last time that you saw the Steelers be able to chew nearly five minutes of clock to ice a game? That's what they did. After Tampa Bay scored that touchdown and didn't get the two-point conversion, they didn't see the football again. Mitch converts yeah. some th- even that second down snap from Mason Cole that's on the ground turns into a third and 16 turns a second and two into a third and 16 situation. No problem. Trubisky fires at the chase Claypool, who, by the way, caught seven of seven targets for 96 yards. And we can yeah, talk I'm about him in a second as well. Chase Claypool as well. Yeah. But Mitch Trubisky's second half, what he was able to come in and do in this football game. I just I felt so much more confident and it's because he played so much more confident. I understand what the numbers look like where, you know, he had plenty of attempts that were 20 plus yards down the field and stuff like that. So it, it, he technically was taking some shots, but when he's holding on to the football the way that he was, that was where the issues were what they were, you know, standing in the pocket and taking sacks, just being complacent it looked like just playing scared at times and not willing to take chances to make mistakes. In this football game, it looked like he was just playing some effort ball, and he didn't care. Like, he was in the situation that he was in. He knew what had just happened to Kenny. 
This was his half of football. No one's no one's breathing down his neck for the rest of this football game. This is his game to go and win. Yeah. And he took the reins. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm thinking about right now, actually, is like prior to this, I mean, prior to Kenny being in, Mitch mm-hmm. may have been worried the entire time that he's going to lose his job. Yeah. And that's, that's something that's that I that, that's something that I hadn't really thought about until you were saying that. And mm-hmm. now I, I get it. Like nobody nobody is going to come behind you. You're literally just in a who cares how I perform? I already lost the job anyway. And so he he went out there and balled out. So kudos to him. I I mean, if he's the guy on Sunday, I hope he does it again. But I uh, like I said, I mean, I'm not going to want to make the switch back because you literally can't. And Tomlin basically confirmed it. But it was it was great to see them push the ball on Sunday a little bit. I mean, that like you mentioned, that third and 16 turns into like an 18 yard gain. I, who mm-hmm. who in that you were in the stadium? Did anyone think that they were going to get that third no, down conversion? I, that's uh, le- legitimately. I didn't say it out loud, but once that low snap happened and Mitch recovers the fumble, I was like, "All right, they're going to run the football here to make Tampa use a timeout. They're going to punt them the football. Tom's going to come down and get them a field goal to win the football game." That is how and I saw the rest of that football game playing out. So I, I was texting my buddy Craig. I mean, you know him too, and. He was like, we were talking about the feeling of like, the can you feel the win? Or do you think that like the win is in sight? And I was telling him literally until the Steelers are in victory, for, victory formation or the clock hits mm-hmm. zero, I'm not going to think the win is in sight, especially when you're going against that quarterback. You've seen yeah. it too many times with Tom Brady, but he he managed to do it. And and now we, we can move on to Chase Claypool. During the stretch of that game, like – when it come to crunch came to crunch time, Claypool was good. And it's funny because literally the week prior, we were dogging on him for doing nothing since that Eagles game in two, 2020. And that, that, that was the week a week ago. And now he has a, that performance where what seven catches, 90 some odd yards in the touchdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, it, it was great. He, he put the team on his back when he needed to. He made some really good catches. I mean, that, that one that was, I think it was the, the third and 16. It was like falling to the sideline. Um, that, that was a really Mitch, nice catch. Yeah. Mitch him. rolls out and it, it obviously, it was a broken play at that point. There was, that wasn't Claypool's route anymore. It was kind of just like, man, get open. So he kind of breaks off his route and just starts running up the field. Um, yeah. And Trubisky, really good ball on the move. Claypool gets his elbow down in bounds. It didn't. I didn't think he was in bounds. I was like, "Ah, crap! Hurry up, get up to the line before they review yeah. it." Um, well, but yeah, I mean, part of me thinks it just looked a lot more confident. Like we were saying with Mitch when he was in there, like F it ball. It seemed in a way Claypool was playing the same thing, even though he's a regular starter still. And it was just kind of like F it ball. I mean, he just seemed like a more confident receiver and more confident in what he was doing on the field because that's also what. One of the things that we talked about, and we didn't really necessarily say confidence-wise, but we talked about that one specific route where he gets off the, he breaks off the line really well, and then he just kind of like neanderly runs across the middle of the field, and it turns into an mm-hmm. incompletion. You didn't really see that. You saw some more confident running from Claypool in that game, and I, I thought it was really impressive the way he, the way he did that, and the way they rallied at the end to really solidify the game. They basically just said, "We are not going to lose this game." That, that that's that's what hit Mitch and and Claypool said at the end. Yeah, well, what I appreciate about the end of the fourth quarter, as opposed to the end of the second quarter, was them, like you said, going out and playing to win the football game and not give the ball back to Tampa Bay. The management right before halftime was atrocious. I mean, they handed Tampa Bay a field goal before halftime because yeah. you try a passing play on first down. And hindsight's twenty twenty, but you obviously, if you could go back, wish Kenny would have just laid down in bounds as opposed to throwing it away, taking the sack and made Tampa use a timeout because then they would have used a set their second and final timeout because they only had two left at that point. After second down, you could have just ran it on third down. Tampa Bay would have wouldn't have got the ball back, but because they threw an incompletion on first down, they were able to use the timeouts after second and third down and get the ball back, and they did end up getting a field goal out of it. So. The clock management in the second quarter as opposed to the fourth quarter was night and day. They handled the fourth quarter, and they were aggressive to win this football game. They took mm-hmm. some shots on third. They convert two third down and longs um, on that final drive. Like I said, chewing up four and a half minutes, basically, um, to win the football game. Going back to Claypool, though, yeah, targeted seven times, seven receptions on 96 yards. Did you see what the route tree looked like for him? I hadn't. It was all over the place. 
which is a very good thing. Um, now he's obviously lining the alignment is often the same, basically in the slot, but where the routes are going to kind of all over the field. I actually tweeted out a picture of it. Uh, if you want to go and look at, actually, I could probably just bring it up. This is kind of unorthodox for me to just do in real time on the podcast. Um, but this will be good for people that are watching on YouTube anyway. So let me find my own tweet here. We will promote my own stuff. And typical yeah, Smitty fashion here, promoting his own uh, Twitter. Yeah, but yeah, I, I haven't seen it, so I'm curious what it looks like. Yeah. So that is Chase Claypool's route tree from Sunday. As you can see, going to a lot of portions of the field here. I guess maybe not so much. He didn't go to the right boundary a ton, but look at that middle of the field. Mm -hmm. And that's what you want to see. By the way, I uh, still, uh, this doesn't make me all of a sudden a huge Matt Canada fan. But uh, yeah, definitely a, a step in the right direction when you talk about um, where Chase Claypool was on the football field on Sunday. Um, but Chase Claypool himself still had to make plays. So yeah, caught all seven of his targets, which that's obviously a great thing. No drops. Way to go, buddy. And some of those were through contact as well, which is nice to see. And um, four, a, four of his seven guy. catches based off of that, that graphic are beyond 10 yards. So yeah. throwing beyond the sticks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, some combat catches, catches down the field, catches in the middle of the field, kind of everything you want to see catches a touchdown, the first touchdown by a receiver on the Steelers this season. Um, just a really, what's the word I'm looking for? He, he played a competitive football game. Now I haven't gone back and watched this game on tape, but yeah, my biggest level. Yeah. There you go. Let's get into some hockey terms. My <laughs> biggest um, disappointment so far this season with Chase Claypool was what he's doing when the football isn't in his hands more than anything else. He just does not look like he wants to be playing football up until Sunday. Now, I haven't gone back and watched the film on this one. I don't know what he was doing when the football wasn't in his hands, to be quite honest with you. Um, so I'm gonna have to go back and look, but obviously a step in the right direction, um, by all accounts for him with the production that he was able to put forward. Um, and you just, let's keep stacking these. Everybody knows, like I've been as critical of Chase Claypool as anybody, but I have no reason to, you know, not be willing to change my opinion on him. I, I, I don't understand people that are like that. Like, I don't, I would rather be proven wrong than continue to have material to push a narrative because it would benefit the Pittsburgh Steelers if he continues to have performances like this. Why would I want the opposite of that? Yeah. The only the only counter to that one, and, and not Clay, Claypool or any players in particular to me, is where it's like I would rather the team be flat-out bad than average. Oh, yeah. I mean... To but, get better, before, you got to yeah. be bad. <laughs> like That's just the case sometimes. But yeah, when it comes to like players and pushing narratives like that, no, I'm all for players individually turning things around and being productive. Now, also, I mean, we might as well bring this up since we're talking about Chase Claypool as well. His name has been circulating in some rumors recently, um, thrown out there as one of the top trade candidates um, at the deadline here by both ESPN and CBS now as well have put his name out there. Um, and the Packers, obviously, like they make they've been looking for a receiver for a long time, even though they just drafted two. I mean, obviously losing Devontae Adams and they draft Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson. Um, Romeo Dobbs has been far more productive this year, but like they've lost Randall Cobb for a couple weeks here. Sammy Watkins, non-factor for them there. They're looking for a receiver. They have been for a long time. Chase Claypool's name has popped up. ESPN did a mock trade with um, with them and the Steelers, and it was Claypool in a seventh for Amari Rogers in a fourth. Amari Rogers out of Clemson has not done a thing there. For them, I think he was mm -hmm. a third round pick, really only been used as a kick returner and punt returner at times. Um, let me say this when it comes to, to Claypool. I was told by somebody, and once again, I refuse to use names on here, I would never do that, that they thought he was going to be traded before the season started because the Steelers took two receivers in the draft. Now, did Calvin Austin's sense. did Calvin Austin's injury play into the team not doing that? I don't know because that was so close to the season. I feel like if they were going to trade Claypool, it would have probably been right after the draft, but that obviously didn't happen. My best guess as to how this whole thing plays out, I think it'd be pretty un-Steelers-like to move him right now. 
Um, if they were to do so, what are they looking for? I don't think you can get higher than a third, but I also wouldn't take lower than a fourth for sure. And a fourth, I would it would have to be a team that you think should be picking relatively high towards that, mm-hmm. where it's almost a third. Um, but man, my best guess for how this plays out is he plays out his rookie contract and walks. Like that's still just the way I think it's gonna happen. And I don't think he would be traded any earlier than like draft time next year. So it would surprise me if they moved him this season before the deadline. It's just interesting that his name is popping up again when I was told that uh, like right after the draft. I think the only way that he's moved next year is if they take another receiver. Because Jordan Addison, I I, I, I would think Jordan Addison, I would think (laughs) they're going to take a receiver in the first round. I would think that um, Claypool is just going to play out the contract like you said, mm-hmm. but yeah. if they take another receiver and you've got two of your receivers on their second year, of their rookie contracts, one rookie, and then Deontay Johnson, assumingly still, I mean, that's four guys that you expect to be playing quite a bit. And where does yeah. Claypool fit into that at that point? Um, so that's what I would think the only case that I would see. I mean, if they take Jordan Addison, yeah, for sure. Trade, <laughs> trade, trade <laughs> Claypool. Sure. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. So, yeah, I think the other part of this is we haven't seen Calvin Austin at all. Like, who knows what he's even going to be for this team? Like, I, the reason I think Claypool's for sure going to walk is you've already paid a receiver in Deontay Johnson, and you have your guy in waiting in George Pickens. I, I don't think you can pay Chase Claypool in between them as well. Um, the The reason to not trade him now, in my opinion, is you have – you need at least three receivers to to have an NFL offense. We don't have an NFL offense right now because Matt Canada is running it, but you need at least three receivers <laughs> to have any semblance of an NFL offense. Yeah. And if you trade Claypool, man, you Mr. are really Kansas banking. City and you have Kelsey. Yeah, very true. I mean, Fryermuth is a nice piece. Najee can catch the ball in the backfield, but yeah, but Fryermuth not Kelsey. You no, 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 no. But um where was I going with this? Oh, if you trade Claypool right now, that you really better hope that Calvin Austin is what we think he could be, like immediately. Yeah. And, and just speaking on him by himself, I, I'm excited to see what he brings because I think he brings a different element that all of the other receivers don't really He's have. He's a home run hitter. Just out, flat out speed. I mean, yeah. the, not to say he's Tyreek Hill, but he has that kind of twitchiness and speed to him. And so I, I think that once you add that wrinkle to the offense, that can open things up even more for the receivers. Well, it's interesting you say Tyreek Hill because I'm thinking of another guy that's still in KC is a more comparable player in Michael Hardman, who's mm. very close in speed to Tyreek Hill, but obviously not the same level of talent. Right. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, like, how does he get utilized Matt Canada didn't seem to have an answer for that uh, when talking about him, which made no sense. It's like, okay, so you drafted this guy in April and he didn't get hurt until pretty close to the season. So then for Canada to say, we don't know how we're going to work him into the offense. Like you should have had a plan for this guy from since you drafted. He does him. have a plan. How is this going to fit? Go, go back to the season highlights of 2016 at Pitt. Watch Quadri <laughs> Henderson play football. That's what they're going to do with him. Hey, I mean, if that were to work at the NFL level, that would be great. But like, so my well, thing he was is a receiver the, that, that sat yeah. out in the slot and would run those basically run across the middle of the field. And that's how he would receive the ball, but also so many jet sweeps with them. So if mm-hmm. they, they want to introduce that more, that's basically your filling guy for the same type of player. Yeah. I guess my like issue with that statement though was you drafted him in April and should have had a plan for him since then. It's not like you're talking about like, okay, if the Steelers were to go out and sign OBJ at some point, whenever he's healthy and ready to play, then I can understand like, okay, we don't have a game plan for this guy yet. We just wanted to get him in the building because it's so late. You, This guy has been in the building. You know he's coming back at some point. How do but you not know? Canada's an idiot. That's why. Yeah, it's 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 just very frustrating. But to, to go back to Chase Claypool – I think we're both in agreement. We don't think he's getting moved this year, right? No, no, not a chance. Because then, say Calvin Austin doesn't even say Calvin Austin has another setback. Your your wide receiver three is going to be 
who if you trade him? Steve Sim, Steve Sims, Miles Boykin, like yeah, they'd have to bring what, in the what, body. What are we working? What are we working with? Yeah, no, yeah. there's no chance. They might bring in OBJ in that case. Hey, I, I mean, <laughs> I I'd be fine with it. Um. Okay, and then finally, uh, let's. Oh, actually, we have to go to. I got some questions from Instagram, but uh, yeah, we'll do that. Oh, first, did Sarge actually. not take notes? By the way, no, he did not. What an idiot! I know. Was disappointed. I thought he was going to be multitasking. Um, so yeah, I put out, I just was looking for a couple questions. We got three that were serious, so we can answer those ones. Um, what does the wide receiver room look like next year? This is from Nick case. Um, Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, Calvin Austin, for sure. I'm still going to say if, if I'm going to be, I'm pretty adamant in thinking that Chase Claypool is going to play out his rookie contract in Pittsburgh and walk. So I still think he's a part of the wide receiver room next year. Um, do they bring back any of the other guys that are here right now? I'll say Steven Sims. And then I mean, one guy Steven that's currently Sims not on the team. I'll say if Steven Sims is still around, I'm assuming that Gunner's not. Yeah, I don't think Gunner will um, be. I don't think Miles Boykin will be. And I don't think Anthony Miller will be who's out for the year anyway, but I think they'll bring in like another veteran receiver to like be that sixth guy compete for a spot. Right. Um, I'll say pretty much the same thing. You're still Deontay Pickens, Austin. Like I said, the only wrinkle about Claypool next year would be if they draft a receiver, but with how many needs around the team that I think there are outside of just starters to depth. And right now just six picks. Yeah, I don't think that they can really afford to spend one on another receiver, especially after picking two last year. So I would assume they stick with the four that they have right now in in those four, and then probably Sims as well if he's going to be your returner too. And then, yeah, just one of those other veteran guys that are going to be brought in that don't really make a difference anyway. Um, Nick, another Nick, Gregoric said if Kenny doesn't play Sunday, how deep does Mitch have to be in his Duffy for a W? So this is because we were playing <laughs> NHL and he got off and then Stubbs and I played a game and we put up like 10 goals. I scored like six or seven, something like that. So I texted Nick afterwards and was like, yeah, we were able to win. I was in my Duffy, like in my bag. In this right, game. right, right. So for the people, for the boomers that don't know what being in your Duffy means, um, so the thing is, Mitch was definitely in his Duffy in the second half on Sunday. So that's just he needs to be that same level in his Duffy Sunday night if for some reason Kenny isn't able to play. And oddly enough, I think that the situation of Mike Tomlin saying that if Kenny's healthy, he's a guy that kind of puts Trubisky back in that F it, what do I have to lose category. So maybe if if he ends up going He's still going to have that same dog mentality. Like, I mean, I got nothing to lose at this point. So he's not going to be as jittery in the pocket and he might perform better. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he's going to be in the play for sure. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Shut <laughs> up. Um, yeah, I don't know how deep. Probably, let's see. I mean, you ever seen Hermione Granger? You ever yes. seen her, her? You ever seen her uh, magical purse? <laughs> That deep. yeah, it can fit an entire wow. tent in it. Yeah, yeah, because Miami's a good team. So, um, I know that they, they they've been a, bit, a little bit banged up. Like, obviously, Tua hasn't been playing. He's expected back for this game. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle have been banged up. That they're playing. Xavier Howard hasn't been healthy for like four weeks now, and he's still playing though. Obviously, not at as high of a level. So, I mean, they're dealing with their own stuff, but they've still been going out there every week. Um, also at Hard Rock and not yeah. Akersher. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, pretty deep. Um, did the Steelers back themselves into a corner by, by starting Kenny so early? This is from Donnie Druin who covers the Cardinals, um, for our, all Cardinals. Um, like I said, no. I, I, so no. I, I, I get the question because it's like, we talked about before, like, we don't think you can go back and forth here. Once you switch to Kenny, he's your starter as long as he's healthy. Um, so I get what, what, what he means by this question because, you know, if Mitch is going to give you the best chance to win, but you feel like you can't play because you've already made the switch, 
then yeah, I guess you have backed yourselves into a corner. But I think the thing in this situation is at the least, I think they have, they give you the same chance to win right now. And you know, Mm -hmm. who is your guy moving forward? If I felt like Mitch was the better option for right now, but it's like, man, we have to play Kenny just because we've already switched to him. Then this would be a yes to this question for me, but that's not how I'm viewing it. It's totally different. I, like you said, they basically have an equal opportunity to win as of right now. They give you the equal opportunity to win. And that's also Mitch coming off the performance that he had. If you would have asked me prior mm, to yeah. kickoff on Sunday, I would say Kenny gives you the better chance. So, no, I don't think they have because I still don't think Trubisky is going to be that guy moving forward. I don't think he's going to have some resurgence and start playing like the quarterback that we hoped he would when he came to Pittsburgh just because he gets to start another game. I, I mean, we've, we've seen him start multiple games this season. It didn't work out that well. I'm not really worried about it. Kenny's the guy. Hope Mitch does well in relief, but um, he might not even have the chance to play this week. If Kenny can go, Kenny's going to go. So it is what it is. Yeah, 100%. Uh, again, though, I mean, I can't say enough about – Mitch's performance on Sunday. Very possible that he just caught lightning in a bottle, though. So how many I mean, how many times yeah. did we see a guy? He had a great, he had a great game, Mitch, but now yep. buzz off. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. We're gonna switch gears now. Um, man, that was a lot of Steelers talk, honestly, this week, about 50 minutes. Um, to the pens. Penguins hockey is back. Three games to talk about here. Uh opening up with the coyotes at home. Um, I mean, what a performance. I feel like this game kind of had everything that you'd want to see in an opener, especially like the really like feel good goals you get from Jason Zucker and Kasperi Kapp. And then in that game too, like guys that you mm-hmm. just need that you need the Penguins need them to be those types of players this year. Um, so really good performance in that one. Uh, for the most part, I, I, I think that again, when you, when you're playing a game like that and you get up the way that they were, it's easy to take your foot off the gas at times. Uh, speak of take your foot off the gas. We're going to talk about the third game that they played in a little bit, but Saturday night's game is hard for me to talk about. Um, I was at a wedding, so it with no reception by the way. So I didn't even know what happened in this game until I walked out of this barn, um, and checked my phone to see the final score. So I went back and watched the highlights, but maybe not the best way to gauge, this performance, but they beat the Tampa Bay Lightning on Saturday. Uh, they give a power play goal like four and a half minutes into Steven Stamkos, and then they just went to work to control this hockey game. And it looks like from every aspect, we're clearly the better team. Very unpenguins like, but they're off to a very good start this season in the face-off circle. Um, I mean, they won 60-some percent of the draws on that in that game Saturday yeah, against Tampa. I don't, I don't know. Going into this game with Montreal, they were number one in the league in face-off percentage as a team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if they are now, but that's something that I feel like the Penguins have really struggled with the last few years, too. So it's been good over these first couple of games to really see them hone in on that and and win some of these faceoffs. They are, some, still, they are still first. Because even someone like Sid, who I feel like has pretty much characteristically been pretty good over his career as a faceoff guy, I feel like the last mm. like couple of seasons he's been kind of down well, in the faceoff circle. Well, really interesting, speaking of sit and face-offs, is they're trying a bunch of different stuff with the face-offs this year, like a bunch of set plays, and it's leading to Sid taking less draws because they're having Gensel take some of them, and, and mm. they're like setting something up right off the face-off. So in these first three games, at least, they've, give, they've thrown some different looks at people where Sid's not even the one taking the draw, and he's playing the wing off the face-off. So that's been interesting to watch for sure. Did you were you did you watch the game on Saturday against Tampa though? Like I watched so don't listen to me, police of Utah. So the game started <laughs> after at the end of the BYU game and okay. after yeah. and before I got to my uncle's or my cousin's house. So like while I was at the game or watching the game, I had it on my dashboard in front of my speedometer. And as I was driving to his house, I was watching the game like that. So, yes, in a way, I watched the game. But I don't know if you can say I fully watched the game. It was, yeah. it was a really good performance, though. Um, the first period was pretty competitive. Uh, it, it seemed like it was going to be an even-fought game. and But but then it really opened up for the Penguins in the second period and on. And in that, that third period, I believe, that's when they scored four goals. Mm-hmm. I, they they yeah. just kind of, like, opened it up at that point. Um 
I, I I thought it was a really good performance overall. I mean, these first the first two games in particular, just seeing the offense, and it's not just I mean, of course, like Sid and Jake and Malkin are they were getting their own, but every, it was all throughout the lineup too. And like you said, seeing a guy like Zucker get that goal, seeing a guy like Kapan, like I I tweeted out like I know. Even though Kapanen will probably brush it off, like oh, it's it's just a it's a it's a sixth goal of a game. It didn't really mean much at that point. I know just individually that probably felt really good for him to get that in the back of the net. And mm-hmm. I, I, who who scored in this Tampa game? Let me see. Okay, so uh, Sid scored, Jeff scored, Heinen. Jake scored, Heinen scored, and then you had Raquel Rust. as well and Russ. I mean, you've got multiple guys from throughout the lineup chipping in. The only people that haven't scored are the fourth line. Which I mean, if that's the case, whatever. But yeah. if 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 the, the other three lines are going to be contributing the way that they have been, it's really good to see. Um, except for Monday night's game, was kind of just yeah. really felt flat compared to the other two. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that's, you that's had the noticeable thing to me, and and without Casey DeSmith, which tip of the cap to him. Without him, this game is a lot worse than it is. Um, lo- mm-hmm. letting the Habs come back and losing in overtime, but. I, I thought he had a great performance, but overall the team just felt like they didn't have the same mojo that they had in the first two games. They just kind of were flat out on the ice. Yeah. I thought um, like Gino obviously had a couple goals and he looked invested in the game. Thank uh, you that, for my that whole line, team, I thought, by the way. Yeah. I thought that whole line was pretty solid to be honest with you. Rust almost scored in the first period. He had the best chance of anybody. Um, I thought POJ had a pretty nice game. Um, and I thought Casey DeSmith had a good game outside of that. Like the Sid line was, I, if you would have told me that they didn't take a shift, they were invisible. Game, I would have believed you. Yeah. They didn't do anything in this, in this hockey game and those are going to happen, but it's just unfortunate. We're like a night where those guys don't show up. You simultaneously have Chris Letang have like one of those five to seven games. He's going to have every year where he's just, it looks like he has no clue how to play hockey. And then Jeff Petrie taking three penalties. Like when you have all those things happen in one game, it's a it's it's a wonder how you even got a point out of it. So yeah, Casey to Smith, credit to him for for getting the Penguins a point out of this game. But it's just so frustrating because at one point they did lead two nothing. Even though Montreal was out oh, playing yeah. them for a lot of this hockey game, the Penguins still blew a two nothing lead and they scored. They gave up the game or I game mean, time goal. I mean, it was two nothing like going into half. the third. Yeah, and they gave up so, the game time goal with net uh, Cole Caulfield off of a, a set play where like no one is paying any attention to him on that side of the ice with like what two and a half minutes left, I think, or something like that. 220. So, um, so yeah, this was a very contrast from what the Penguins put on the ice in the first two games. Um, but like I'm still very encouraged. Like again, those games are gonna happen what you saw on Monday. I'm still much more encouraged about what I saw in the first two as opposed to discouraged from the third one. Um Sidney Crosby, by the way, first star of the week for the first week of the NHL season, which is great to see. I mean th- those three, and go, I know Chris Letang had a stinker on Monday, but those first two, he had the highest game score in the NHL uh, in those first after the first two games with mm-hmm. Gino, three goals in three games. Sidney Crosby, the first star of the week for the first week. These guys look motivated to show that they're not quite done yet, and uh, that's obviously going to be the driving force for this team. I think it it seems redundant and stupid to say that they're going to go as far as those three will carry them, like obviously. But um, yeah, I mean, I feel really good about what they what they've done so far. Well, the one specifically I feel really good about is Malkin because I feel like yeah. Sid is mm-hmm. Sid. We we knew he was going to be the same pretty much, and Latang coming off of one of the best years, especially physically that he's ever had as a Penguin. I didn't really think there was going to be much of a discrepancy of a, or a downfall from last year, but Malkin to me, just through these first three games, has looked kind of rejuvenated. And looks a lot. I mean, obviously, I know he's not younger, but he just like is skating differently. He looks like he's skating more passionately. He's skating harder. It's it's not the because there were times over the past couple of seasons where you'd see Malkin try to make a move, and if the move doesn't work, he just kind of like lackadaisically turns around. And mm-hmm. I don't feel like you've seen that so far this season, especially in that Montreal game. I mean, I, I think he was he was really trying to force the offense and charge the net and do a lot of good things that not that he wasn't doing, but I just don't think he was doing it as consistency or consistently the past like season or two. And I think that through three games, he has looked 
particularly good out of the big three. I mean, they all have Sid yeah. six six points in three games, so hard to and then he he didn't even have a point in this last one, so he had six points in two games. Hard to complain about that. I, I I'm I I I'm really excited about the team moving forward. I I, I thought it was going to be a good team, um, but those first two games, they 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 were really encouraging for what we could see throughout the rest of the season because it wasn't like I said, the thing that I didn't want to see that you saw so much last year is that if it wasn't going to be Malkin or the top line scoring, no one is scoring. And I get it. It's a really small sample size, but it's nice to see other guys get into the net as well. I just want Bluter back. Like that's obviously the one thing that I'm looking at. You don't like failing. I I mean, between him and Archibald, I, I think one of them can have a spot but I don't think you can be playing, but they're giving you nothing. And honestly, it, it might be Brock McGinn that I would get rid of, but like, he, that's not going to happen. But so, three point, how much does he make? 2.75, 3.25. I don't know. I, it's three more years on, or wait, he no, makes he too is, much. No, he's not a six. He a four-year deal? No, 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 no. He, he was a four-year deal. deal. He was a four-year okay. deal. I was, I for a second, I was confusing him and Tanev's contract like length. Yeah, no. Uh, Brock McGinn is currently on, Three, three more. De- okay, he's two point seven five at three more years. Three more years, in- yeah. including this one. So, I mean, yeah, he's not going anywhere. I would tend to lean it being Paling coming out, but yeah. I don't know. I don't care between between the two of them. One of them cannot be playing, so they're giving you nothing right now. Bluger needs to be back. I think he can give you something, um, and also just what he'll bring for the penalty kill. So. Um, unfortunately, this week we only have two games to talk about. On yeah, next they don't play again until Thursday. Yeah, they only they don't play again until Thursday, and then they play on Saturday as well. But they, oh, well, actually, actually, they play next Monday, so we'll have three games. I just realized how stupid that probably sounded because people are either to be watching or listening to this on Wednesday, so they're like, "Yeah, that's tomorrow." But like, yeah, but Monday we're recording on Tuesday. We're not going to try to yeah. not break the fourth wall. We're recording <laughs> Tuesday, okay? But yeah. I, I, in my head, so like the last Penguin season, we were recording every Sunday. And so in mm-hmm. my head, I was thinking, what games are up to Saturday? Okay, so we have three games. So Who bigger, they play? same sample size. They play the Kings on Thursday. Um, that's at home. And then they travel to Columbus on Saturday. And then they start their Western Canada road trip um, yeah. early this year. That, that seems like pretty early. Normally, Good. I feel like Get it's around like November, December. Uh, but they play the Oilers on Monday, so ooh, fun there matchup. it is. Is that is that in Edmonton? In or... Edmonton, I'm an idiot. You said they start their what? Yeah, all right. Of course, it's in Edmonton. Yeah, we're gonna start the Western Canada <laughs> road trip in Pittsburgh, PA. <laughs> so what time is that one? They play their home games at what, like nine? So that's at six or... for me. So eight for you. Oh, oh, is it on like uh, they got it on like a national network or something? I have no idea. I'm just looking at. I I literally have no clue. I'm just I'm just looking at like the Google schedule. So it's on the NHL network. It says 6 p.m. for me. So that would be 8 p.m. for you guys out on that East Coast. I'm just. It is. Yeah. Um. Actually, their home games are kind of all over the map with start times. That's interesting. They don't have like a normal because like penguins, it's like okay, seven p.m. Eastern for home games. Yeah, and like, I mean, and it varies like for the Eastern time zone teams, it varies whether they start at seven or seven thirty, mm-hmm. and then yeah. So I mean, the Western Canada road trip, you got eight o'clock, nine o'clock, ten o'clock, a ten o'clock. So some late nights coming up for people. Yeah. For sure, and then they also have a late night or later night, I guess, for Steeler fans as well who are still sticking around listening because we play on Sunday Night Football this week. Hmm. Yep. So they got that one. They play Indy on a Monday night and uh, the Raiders on Christmas Eve night, and mm-hmm. those are the only primetime ones they got left. So, too but, bad we're um, not the Chicago Bears because or the Denver Broncos because we get to play on a uh, Denver Bronco. Why are they? I mean, did the NFL schedule Denver? 
just preemptively because they had Russ and we want. Yeah, they really bought time. into it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they should buy into a new offensive coordinator next year. Speaking of Denver, <laughs> uh, uh, sixteen points a game right now. Been pretty rough. Uh, what, what are we averaging? More than that. Um, I, mean, uh, I guess that's not hard to do, but that that three's really got to bring down our average, though. <laughs> Oh know. yeah, that that's true. Um, yeah, sixteen point two, thirtieth in the NFL, Steelers. And they're what sixteen? I think sixteen exactly. Broncos points per game. Fifteen point two. Fifteen point two. Hey, we are a whole point better than you, Denver. <laughs> so suck it, Fisher, my brother-in-law. <laughs> He's a tender fan. Yeah, and then there's one other team that's also worse. I wonder who that is. Probably the Panthers or Texans. Chicago. Fifteen point five. Okay. Wow. Um. All right. Well, that wraps this up as we go back into the NFL after talking about the Penguins. Um, as mentioned at the beginning of the show, be sure to check out the GoFundMe's both for the Isla Keen Future Fund. Uh, as well as rocking around the 412, which will kind of play into that as well, being that Isla is going to be one of the kids we know for sure. We're going to bring Christmas to through rocking around the 412, which is our Christmas mission yearly. This is year five. We've raised over $20,000 in the first four years of doing so. Um, every single penny that is donated goes directly to providing gifts for families in my area, I guess I should say, Tyler's home area. Um, and that is electronics, any types of toys, makeup, arts and crafts, supplies, whatever the kids want, we get clothes, whatever they want, we get. Uh, literally, they make a list, give it to me, and I will get them everything I can on that list. Uh, we also get the family a $100 gift card for whatever a local grocery store is so they can go and get groceries to provide them with a holiday meal that they otherwise might not be able to have. It's all about giving them the Christmas that both Tyler and I were able to enjoy growing up that they might not otherwise be able to provide um in this case that might not necessarily be the case and what i'm talking i'm talking about with isla um but it's just also we use it as a way to ease that burden at christmas time for example there was a family last year that wasn't necessarily like very poorly off but they lost their mother literally the day before thanksgiving there's no reason that their father should have to worry about christmas and providing for those kids their christmas with that going on and that right. is a similar situation to this one here. So mm -hmm. we just want to take away that financial burden for them this year. And I'm very thankful that we're going to be able to do so as I've seen the way that it has impacted that family firsthand. Um, other than that, again, as Tyler mentioned at the beginning, like and subscribe wherever you're watching or listening to this. If you are listening to it somewhere other than YouTube, please head to the YouTube. Leave us a like on this video. Subscribe to the channel. We try to post shorts from the show throughout the week as well try to get out just more content let us know your opinion on anything that we might have talked about through the show or a question for next week um any of the above we love getting your guys input so anything that you guys want to talk about we are here to talk about with you uh until next week it's Mitty for tyler this has been around the 412 and we'll see you then bye-bye